That is everybody's perception of dating. Everybody I like doesn't like me. Everybody who likes me, I don't like. All I'm trying to do is move those two circles close enough together that we could find a 10% overlap. And this is the zone of success, that tiny, tiny overlap. If you actually believe that there's zero overlap, A, it's not true, and B, you're fucked. Welcome back to Dating Intentionally. I'm Talia. I'm a dating coach, and I'm sharing no-nonsense advice for navigating modern dating with confidence and ease, whether you've been on dozens of dates or you're just getting started. I believe dating can be fun, and it can be really difficult, which is why I wanted to talk to Evan Marcatz, who has been a dating coach for 20 years. Before we get into it, I have one question for you. Do you struggle with texting between dates? Do you get stuck on how to respond to certain things? If yes, I've got your back. You can download my free texting scripts in my bio link on Instagram. My handle is at dating.intentionally. This free guide includes 30 scripts for various common dating situations like what to say when they're texting too much or maybe not enough. These scripts are more like templates for you to make your own, and you can get them right now by going to Instagram. You can find my page at dating.intentionally, and you can tap on the profile link. Okay, so this episode with our guest, Evan Mark Katz, is full to the brim with insight. Like I said earlier, Evan has been in the game for two decades as a dating coach and writer, and he's helped thousands of women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, up to women over 70 years old in his Love You program, which you'll hear about in our chat. You may have seen Evan on the Today Show on CNN, in the New York Times, or maybe you caught his TED Talk, which is called No More Bad Dates. I personally have been reading Evan's blog for a long time, and I knew I had to get him on the podcast when I started doing guest interviews. In this episode, we get into why your confidence is the first thing to work on in your dating journey, tips for moving on from a past relationship you're still stuck on, and why you might be having a hard time finding men you actually like. I also had Evan give his take on one of my Instagram posts, which he kindly disagreed with, so it was fun to get into that more and hear his point of view. Oh, and we also got into how everyone in dating culture is so flaky today and what to do about it if you are on a mission to meet your match this year. At the end, Evan shares an amazing gift for a dating intentionally listener, so make sure you don't miss that. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Evan as much as I did. Let's get to it. All right, Evan, welcome to Dating Intentionally. I am so excited to have you here. How are you? I'm in a great mood. I'm really excited to be here with you. I love the work you do online. I love your work. I mean, I I loved reading your entire timeline on your site about how you went to law school, you did screenwriting, then you discovered you had an act for dating advice, and it just like the rest is history. You've accomplished so much, and I'm just really excited to chat because I feel like I've been reading your blog on and off since I graduated college. You've been with me through <laughs> this journey. Honestly, that's really exciting because I'm not a real celebrity. So when anybody tells you, oh, I've been following you for some time, it really means the world to know that it's made some small impact on your life and maybe helped get you into this business as well. Yes. So I have a, a hinge prompt for you. I like to kick things off with a hinge prompt. This one is, I go crazy for. <laughs> it's funny because I'm so old that when I stopped dating, there were no smartphones, there were no dating apps. <laughs> right. 15 years ago when I got married. So uh, I've never actually used the dating app, Love uh, although I coach women through the act of using dating apps. So I go crazy for women with big brains. 
Love it. We all love women with big brains. That's great. I go crazy for that too. I also wanted to ask you, so do you see yourself ever going back to screenwriting? I also studied screenwriting in college, by the way, and I wanted to be a screenwriter or a talent agent. (laughs) Obviously did not do that, but would you ever go back? Would I ever go back uh, when you, you know, identify as being some sort of artist or storyteller, you know, that that's always a part of you. It's that as a provider, I provide for my wife and my kids by myself. I'm saving for retirement. I'm saving for college. I don't need a hobby. (laughs) So that's responsible. If (laughs) I'm fortunate enough to retire young, I could go and do my art. Uh, But as a still a youngish guy who's in the money-making phase of his career, I don't see myself doing anything artistically unless I'm compensated for it. Well, I hope that you retire young so you can screenwrite because I feel like you'd have very, I, I don't know, I just feel like it'd be good. Okay. I want to talk about Love You, which is your flagship program that thousands of women have graduated from. Can you just explain what Love You is? My name is Evan Marquette. I'm a dating coach for uh, high-achieving women who have everything but the guy. And if you are listening to this right now and you say, well, that kind of sounds like me, and you're struggling with finding a good guy online and self-esteem, why is this so uniquely hard? Why does it seem like all the good ones are taken? It's harder in my area. It's harder at my age. All those stories in your head. I've created a a program that kind of walks you through the entire process of making better dating and relationship choices with men. And so we start month one with confidence. And once we build up confidence, we could talk about meeting men and online dating and then dating, understanding men, relationships and commitment. So it's just a half hour of video a week, like 10, three minute videos, little written exercise, and then a really vibrant community of women who that I, I coach uh, both online and off. So you could ask questions and make better, better choices because you don't trust your judgment with guys at a certain point. And so you could subcontract your judgment to me because I'm not going to steer you wrong. I could tell you who the losers are and we could avoid wasting time on the wrong men and getting burnt out on dating. Well, I wanted to ask you, why is addressing confidence most important thing to start with in in this work? Because confidence permeates every decision you'll make. And let's flip it around for a second. If you're a woman and you found some nice guys along the way, part of the reason you haven't been attracted to them is because they lack confidence. Confidence is as attractive as washboard abs, is as attractive as money. A guy who likes himself, who has a personality, who's decisive, who's ambitious, confidence is kind of like the killer app. And so if we agree that confidence is attractive in men, boy, it's attractive in women as well. And if you don't have confidence, think about all the ways it shows up. I don't know how to handle this texting situation. I don't know how to set a healthy boundary. I don't raise my standards enough to be with a good man who treats me well. I don't speak up or advocate for myself. I take myself out of dating. I think I can't date at this age, at this weight. So I can't date multiple men. So if you understand that we start with confidence, now we can handle texting, sex, boundaries, raising the bar higher for the kind of man who is worthy of you, what I call being the CEO of your love life rather than the intern. And so if you can embrace your inner CEO, most of my clients are powerful. They got one really strong muscle and they got one really weak muscle. And that weak muscle, unfortunately, is boundaries with dating and and men. 
I never thought about like that before. Like if you don't have the confidence, let's just say I'm messaging with someone on Instagram and they're like, Talia, what do I say to this person? And I'm like, just say this. It's like just a bandaid because I'm giving them the answer of what to say, but they're still not believing in themselves that they're worthy of what they're after. But the answer helps yeah. if, you, if you doubt the efficacy of what you do, because at a certain point it becomes indistinguishable. If I gave everybody a little Lance Armstrong bracelet, it would be like, what would a confident woman do? Right. And so I just look at the bracelet. And if I don't know how to handle the situation, how would a woman who has thousands of guys throwing herself at her, how would she handle this guy? Would she put up with this behavior? And if you could do what a confident woman would do, a man will see that, be attracted to that, respect that. And you're going to have a better relationship. You're going to not tolerate bad relationships. And you're going to turn into the confident person that you start to act like. So do you believe like in the fake it till you make it? That's a perfectly fair and crude way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's closer to behavioral, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral psychology. Right. Change your behavior and it'll change your beliefs. If you step into the role of acting like a confident person, if you follow these directions, even if they don't come naturally to you, guess what? Guys don't know the difference. They don't know about your tortured past. They only mm -hmm. know what you're presenting to them now. And so you could step out of that being the doormat with guys and step into being the woman who really decides, is this guy making me feel what I mm -hmm. need to feel to continue this relationship rather than I'm waiting for him to call, I'm waiting for him to text, I'm waiting for him to ask me out, I'm waiting for him to take down his profile, that neediness that happens with modern online dating. So on the confidence note, something that I think really affects confidence for daters is that when you're coming back into the dating world after a messy breakup, it could be you have all these new or somewhat new issues that you're bringing with you. And I don't talk a lot about moving on on this podcast, like moving on from a messy situation. So I'd love to get into this a little bit. What have you found as the most effective way to move past a relationship that didn't work out? First couple weeks of Love You are very specifically on this. People come to me when they're at their low point, when they're either trying to get out of a relationship or trying to get over a relationship and look forward. So that's the first thing is looking forward, not backwards, not what could I have done different? What did I do wrong? How do I fix this? There's a, a Greg Barron title. Greg Barron's the guy who wrote, he's just not that into you. His follow-up book was called The Breakup Because It's Broken. And so instead of ruminating on why you couldn't fit the square peg in the round hole, it wasn't for a lack of trying, I could assure you. If anything, you probably held on for too long. Right? The first thing we want to do is pay attention to how many ways that guy disappointed you and hurt you. We have an exercise in the program, literally, Write a letter to your guy. Don't send it. Just write a letter to the guy of all the ways he disappointed you. Because what you're doing when you're looking backwards is holding on to the good stuff. The first three months when it was all new and exciting and you were exploring and you were making love and you were traveling and then the mask slipped off and you realized he's selfish. He's got a temper. He's not sensitive to my emotional cues. We're not on the same page in terms of money or child rearing or what we want out of our future. Um, all the potential in the world doesn't change that. So we hold on to these bits, these crumbs, instead of paying attention, do I feel happy? And so we ignore our own happiness, anxiety replaces it, and then you have a relationship that makes you anxious. So my guess is if your relationship ended, it probably ended for a reason. It's because one or both of you wasn't really happy, and that's why you're willing to let it go. So keying into that dissatisfaction and realizing, okay, Here's the good that I got out of this relationship. I don't have to regret it. I don't have to hate him. I need a guy who gives me this. 
Plus, here's what he was missing. And I can't go without that for the rest of my life. Absolutely. I mean, I I made a list of all the things I, that I was not happy about in my last relationship, but I kept adding to it every time I was missing him. I would like pull it up and I would like remember more things. And that really helped me. That's great. And then we got to go cold turkey. There's no let's stay friends. You know, there's no he hits you up on your birthday. Hey, I miss you. I was thinking about you. What do you say we hang out? Because it's like a drug. Yeah. You, you don't get to casually do the drug if you're trying <laughs> to get over your drug addiction. And so these guys, for lack of a better term, are drugs and you have to quit cold turkey. And that's hard because you're giving up something that brought you some joy that ultimately was not going to make you happy 10, 20, 30 years from now. Excellent. I mean, that's so true. And what about dealing with cynicism after a string of bad first dates or back-to-back relationships that fizzle after a few months? Because I hear this a lot, like people just don't believe it could happen or they're just so jaded. How do you deal with that? They're all limiting beliefs, right? So my definition of limiting beliefs is something that's partially true, but not totally true. So you can never really negate someone's limiting belief if your experience is guys online suck. I'm not going to talk you out of that feeling. I'll only point out that millions of people find love online each year. Right. right. <laughs> both. Yeah, right. both are true. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so hard for a woman my age. I could point to plenty of women your age who are falling in love, whether you're 35 or 65. Right. And a lot of my clients are older and it is tougher the older you get objectively. So is there a smaller pool for women who are 39 and want to have kids than women who are 29 and want to have kids? Yes. You're still better off than a lot of the women who turned to me for help. So we could always shoot down your limiting beliefs, A, because there's way too many exceptions to them. And so my framing that I think a lot of my clients find instructive is let's agree that you're an Ivy League school and that you should have high standards and that you shouldn't settle. If you're in an Ivy League school, you got to take about 10% of your applicants. Otherwise, you don't have a freshman class. So if you can go online and be like, okay, 90% of men are losers. I, I don't need anybody telling me otherwise. 90% of men, in my opinion, just don't cut the mustard, can't possibly be my guy. I don't want to feel bad about it. But that means you got to give a chance to 10% of guys, at least talk to them and see how they step up to the plate or don't step up to the plate. If you go through 100 men on Bumble and you only find one, you might be the common denominator because you can't fill your freshman class. Now there's nobody. And that's not true either. And so it, it, it's a challenge to, to look at this through a both and lens. Yes, it's a challenge to find a quality man. And yes, quality men are getting married all the time to women who are no better than you. Yeah, that's, that's a great reframe. It's powerful. And I I think it can be hard when you're so feeling so bitter to accept that, but it's very true. And all, everything you're saying reminds me of everything you said in the book, Marry Him. I'm like this, oh yeah, like I feel like I read this before. You, you brought up one other thing that I don't want to, I don't want to glide past and I, I failed to address it, which is the cynicism that comes with repeated bad experiences. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you. It's just a bad, bad roll of the dice. I met my wife in November of 06. I went on three of the worst dates in my life, back to back to back, like laugh out loud, funny stories, oh which God. I will not tell here. <laughs> right? And I already had two books in stores. I'd been on the Today Show and I was like, Jesus, I'm, either, I'm the world's biggest hypocrite. I have no idea what's going on, but there wasn't much to learn from it. It was like, it was just bad luck. So then the question becomes, is it bad luck or are you making bad choices? Okay. How do we differentiate? You're making bad choices if you're choosing and ignoring red flags. If you're choosing guys 
mm-hmm. who you can tell they're trouble. <laughs> right. And then you're surprised that they turn out to be trouble. Right. <laughs> right. He's long distance. He's recently separated. He says he's not sure what he's looking for and he just wants to have fun right now. And you're like, well, I, I could work with this. There's a certain point where that, that one's on you for ignoring the obvious. And so difference between bad luck and questionable choices. And we could correct our choices. For sure. I mean, I when after I met my now fiance, I still was going on dates, right? I was talking to him and dating him, but I was still going. And I remember I went on like three pretty meh, like just not great dates after that. And that's when I decided, I'm like, you know what? I have someone really great I'm talking to and dating. There's really no reason. Like that was a sign to me of just, you know what? This guy is really good. I don't need to play with this anymore. (laughs) Right. It was just a coincidence, I think, honestly, because I'd met so many great people that there were three in a row that were just kind of boring and blah. When people date in my program, Mm -hmm. they discover surprisingly, because obviously I can't change men. I can't change your area. I can't change your age. We can't change Tinder or Bumble. Can't change any of that. The only thing we can change is you, your beliefs, your reactions to situations. And I can't tell you how many women have taken this course and discovered a whole bunch of good men that they didn't even know existed just by dating in a different way, which again, doesn't forgive all the shitty men out there. Let's talk about this classic issue that you were perfectly leading to the next question. What happens when you keep meeting people you like, but they don't like you back and the other way around when they like you, but you don't like them? And I hear this all the time with the like good, nice guys. It's like, I'm just not attracted to this. So what's going on? I I think of life in terms of Venn diagrams, overlapping circles. Okay, I'll make this Venn diagram. Got it. (laughs) Here's people's perception of dating. And by the way, it has a strong basis in truth. And this isn't just a narrow slice of people. This is everybody, every man, every woman who's single. Here's all the people who I like. Here's all the people who like me. And there's no overlap in their Venn diagram. That is everybody's perception of dating. Everybody I like doesn't like me. Everybody who likes me, I don't like. All I'm trying to do is move those two circles close enough together that we could find a 10% overlap. And this is the zone of success, that tiny, tiny overlap. If you actually believe that there's zero overlap, A, it's not true, and B, you're fucked. It can't be true. And if you were talking to a guy who said the same thing, and here's a better way to answer that question. You're talking to a guy who said, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty cute. I have a decent job. I'm a good guy. All the women that I'm interested in, they just don't like me. What would you tell the guy? I would probably say that he's not really giving the women who like him a chance. Ding, ding, ding. Or he's overshooting his bounds. Right. Which is to say, and again, this science, this backs this up. All of us, this is what I'm saying, this is not like mansplaining, you know, Mm -hmm. to women, men and women. We all try to date about 25% up. Really? Okay. I buy it. it. It's not remotely surprising. Of course. If we're comparing men side by side, and nothing is worse than dating apps for that purpose, because the options are limitless. Why would I ever go out with the five eight guy if I could go out with the six foot guy? Why would I ever go out with a guy who makes less than six figures if there are existence of guys who make more than six figures? So as long as we're comparing people side by side, yeah. it really rewards the few, right. and the many get discriminated against. You probably know the numbers are ninety five percent of guys get swiped left. Yep. And so they're really bitter. They're competing for table scraps. And my guess is not that you should lower your standards, but someone in 90 to 95th percentile that you passed on would be an amazing partner. Yeah. I would say the exact same thing to men who spend their time swiping on hot women, getting rejected, and then complaining there's no one out there. 
I like that. I like the just just it a little bit. Lower the bar like a tiny, tiny bit. I don't want to say lower the bar because someone's going to hear that and hear hear the word settling. Right. So how about we expand our aperture? Okay, sure. And I, I, like and I say that again, not from a place of arrogance. It's exactly what I failed to do in 10 years of prolific online dating because I was online. My wife was online. We didn't even look at each other. We didn't, we wouldn't have considered each other because she wasn't looking for a Jewish guy and I wasn't looking for a woman three years older. And she probably should have been open to the possibility of dating someone who wasn't Christian. And I probably should have been open to the possibility of dating someone three years older, but we had our tunnel vision on because that's what happens when you set your search criteria for what you think is your ideal person. And what you miss is the margins. And a lot of love is found on those margins. I fully agree. And I experienced myself. My I've said it many times. My fiance is not what I would call my type physically. I think he's very attractive, but like was not the typical guy I would go for. And I'm glad I expanded my horizons because like there are plenty of good looking people who aren't quote unquote your type necessarily. Uh, but why is it so hard to like someone who likes us back? Like what what is this hang up that I keep hearing about? Like what do you make of it? I think it's deeply seated. Uh, I tell a story about my daughter when she was four and how there was one little girl in pre-K who wanted to be her best friend. And then there was one girl who you could see she was going to be the mean girl. And all my daughter wanted was the approval of the mean girl. And who who is this annoying girl who wants to be my best friend? Oh, Right. I think that is just deeply ingrained for reasons that I'm not capable of explaining. We all want to climb the tree and pluck the shiny apple off the top, not get that same apple that's sitting on the ground at the foot of the tree. So we tend to value things that come harder to us. I see. So when a guy is too overeager on the first date, even though it's technically everything you swore you wanted, oh my God, Talia, you're so beautiful. You're so smart. You're like, whoa, 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 back off, stalker man. Literally, you've been waiting your whole life for someone to find you so beautiful and so smart and want to commit to you. So it's not that we need to play games. It's that we have to understand what works and what doesn't. And coming on too strong for a guy is usually a recipe for disaster. Yes. But also, but even if someone's just consistent and just is like, I'm interested in you, is there anything we can do to override Like, Do you find, do you think it's a good idea if you are a woman who you're aware of this? Like, I'm aware I reject guys who like me and the nice guys, should I override this and just keep going on the date even though I don't feel 100% in? That's generally what coaching is about, is someone presents a story to you and you try to be a neutral arbiter, right? And I try to give women the ability to trust their own judgment, not just because I say so. I work on the principles of, especially early phase dating, comfort, fun, attraction. If you have positive scores in comfort, can I be myself? Fun, did I enjoy the night? basic attraction. Would I kiss this guy? If the answer is no, don't go out with him again. You're not doing him or you any favors, forcing yourself to go out with someone that you feel nothing for. Right. The problem is that we're expecting fireworks and fireworks generally don't have a great track record if you look in your past. Right. So how does one course correct? Well, if we overvalue ambivalent guys, hot guys who you're part of their harem and they text you once a week, and they want to hook up and you're like, okay, well, it's the best option I have right now. And you roll with it and you sort of hope you become number one in his harem. And two months <laughs> later, his profile's still online and he's still not calling you and he's yeah. still not escalating. And you agreed to those terms. That's on you. So I think we overvalue the top tier guys, the high value men. We overvalue them to some degree. And then we undervalue what I would call the essential qualities for a husband. 
character, kindness, consistency, communication, commitment, right? So what's more important, right? Ultimately, it's how he treats you. It's not comparing men side by side. And that's hard because we are all status oriented. We're all shallow. So we're comparing this guy to this guy and this guy wins on paper, but I don't feel good about myself with him. So maybe just being open to the idea that it feels really good when you're the CEO and you have an intern who really wants the job, who comes in early and stays late. That matters more than I hired an intern from Harvard who looks cute in a Brooks Brothers suit, but he only shows up at the office once a week. I think he's got another internship. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, no. Okay. I want to touch on what you mentioned. What was it? Comfort, fun, and attraction? Not in that order, but- For first dates, it's a good way to evaluate. Okay. So this message came in on Instagram for you, and I've heard this one. I'm sure you've gotten this one a lot. Four dates in, I really enjoy him, but one dumb thing bothers me. He's shorter. So I think I hear from a lot of women that's like, he's great, but I'm just unattracted. I'm not attracted to them. So is that just like, okay, the second you don't feel attracted, it's just like, nope, move on. Again, now we're dealing with gradations, right? Mm -hmm. So, and and I know it's really crude to to rate people numerically. I wouldn't suggest you you say this out loud. (laughs) Listeners, please don't do, yeah, but go ahead. (laughs) But I I literally, in my program, I have like a little cheat sheet. You print out a little cheat sheet and you score a guy on comfort, fun, and attraction And if he falls below a six, less than a positive score on any of them, he's out. You don't have to be nice. You don't have to give him a chance. So I don't think you could take a three if your five foot four guy is a three. He's pint size. I want to put him in my pocket. (laughs) Right? Like if you just can't get yourself there, I'm not going to tell you that you're making a huge mistake. At the same time, most of the clients I've seen who found successful relationships, including one who emailed me literally an hour ago who's in her 70s. Wow. She showed me a picture of her guy and how she used my program from a year ago to find this guy. And she's been with him for a year now. This is literally an hour ago. Amazing. And this guy never would have met anything on her checklist. So we're really paying attention to feelings, not just the tail of the tape. Mm -hmm. So can a six go to a nine? Absolutely. If you make out with the short guy and it's good, tick, 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 tick. And so- It's giving a chance to the possibility, but it's not forcing yourself to do something against your will. Right. I And I had that experience too. I literally, like with my fiance, it was a six to a 10 as I got to know him and I gave him a chance, but it wasn't, it definitely wasn't below a six on our first date and the comfort and fun part. But that's my point. These are made up numbers. Yeah. And I could share the story of how I met my wife at a party and I didn't write to her online. I met her at a party. She was talking, she was with a friend of hers. They were both 37-year-old divorcees. Mm. And I was talking to two of them for like five hours at a potluck dinner. Nice. But I didn't go up to hit on them. Right. And I didn't even know which of them I liked better. I was just <laughs> talking to them. We're all thinking like there's some like magical thing. And it was not. It was literally at the end of the night. I had to choose one of the two people to get their number because I couldn't ask two friends for their number. Right. Right. And that is not faint praise of my wife. I find my felt wife very attractive. We have, a, yeah. we have a great sex life. But there was nothing compelling that made me make a beeline across the party to her. It is the fact that we were able to talk endlessly. And 17 years later, we're still talking endlessly because that's more of the relationship. Is this the person that I could go on a cross-country car ride with without a radio and not want to kill myself? I love that as a standard. That's a great story. I love the potluck. 
meeting. And okay, so I'm very tuned into like dating culture right now. And I'm sure you are too with how many people you work with. But have you heard about things about men particularly being very flaky right now? Is there a reason you think it just feels so hard right now for women? Like I just keep hearing it from my single friends in New York and in LA that just there's flakiness. What's going on? I think it's awful. I really think it's awful. It's almost epidemic. And I don't think it's just men. Okay. Yeah, fair. I guess I just talked to more women. I think it's universal. (laughs) Yeah. And as we talked before the podcast, as a New Yorker who moved to LA, who discovered there's absolutely no integrity, that nothing means anything, that you have to literally double book on a Friday night to make sure you have backup plans to your plans because nobody's word means shit. If you're a heterosexual woman and you're dating men, you're going to be like, what's wrong with men? If you're a heterosexual man who's dating women, you have the exact same complaint. Yes. People ghost, flake, disappear, disappoint, and there's no accountability because our whole worlds are virtual and it's easier Mm -hmm. to hide behind a screen and do the wrong thing than to face up to it. And so I I think that is a larger societal trend of a lack of integrity. And I'm not even going to begin to be an amateur sociologist and Mm -hmm. pretend I know where it comes from, but I think it is universal. How are you helping clients navigate through this state of like flakiness is the new standard or something? I think of it in terms of our love you central metaphor, which is that you're the CEO of your love life. At any given point in time, if you're dating the way I'm encouraging you to date, putting in a half hour a day to online dating, you're talking to seven to 10 guys at any given point in time. We call it the funnel, right? There's all these guys at the top of the funnel. And he's a six. His profile's a six. His face is a six. Okay, I'm going to talk to him. And there's the three guys who are at the bottom, my safety school guys. And there's three guys in the middle. There's the three guys at the top. Now, the three guys at the top are not making an effort for me. I wish they would, but they're not making an effort. These guys really want to meet me really bad, but I'm not then into them. So you're really looking to get the top of the middle part of your funnel. And if you can Understand that out of seven to 10 guys, eight of them are going to eliminate themselves. This one is going to take down his profile. This one is going to say something sexual. This one is going to get really angry with you. This one is not going to ask you any questions. That is the process. Whether we like it or not, that is the process. So get online for a half hour a day, talk to seven to 10 guys, lead them through your funnel, make a connection on the dating site, do a phone screen, FaceTime. Mm-hmm. If you schedule the first date, it's with a guy you like that you could feel comfortable giving three hours to on a Saturday night. If you go out with one guy a week, you're in business. And if that guy could make an effort to court you through the app, through a phone call and follows through on that, he's less likely to be a piece of shit. No, it's true. And if he falls off, well, then that says everything about his mindset, desire, integrity, his excitement about you, how many other women he's talking to. We don't even need to know why guys flake. We just understand that they will. And so that's not even new. I had that philosophy 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But it's just more now. Because it's predictable. It's predictable. And it's part of the 90% rule. 90% of guys you scroll on, not even worth a look. 90% of guys are right to you. Same math. So let's pay attention to the 10% and how the 10% escalate from when they first introduce themselves to you to when they meet you in person. And do they sustain that after the first date? Because it's not how he acted on a first date. It's how he followed up after the first date. Yes. And so we're looking for, for a sustained effort from a guy. And you're right. Most of them won't do it. That's how you find your intern. It's all the ones who eliminate themselves. You can't make them. You can't wish them into being the men you want them to be. 
whatever their issue is. So we don't take it personally. And I know this is a dating coach. I have women reaching out to me. They apply to love you. They book a call on my calendar and they just don't show up. Yeah. I go on dates, right? I show up at the coffee shop metaphorically. Right. And the women who reached out to me aren't even there. And this happens yeah. every single week. Women on the internet reaching out mm-hmm. to me because they hear me on a podcast and say, I want your help. And then when it comes down to it, evidently they don't. And, and what does that say about me? Nothing. So I don't right. lose any sleep. What does it say about them? I'm not going to impugn their integrity. All I'll say is clearly they're not ready for the commitment that involves six months of coaching. If they did, they wouldn't have flaked out like that. True. And so I make peace with it, even though I don't like the fact that it's going to happen. It is predictable like traffic and rain. <laughs> you don't have to like it. It's going to be there. I really like this idea. Uh, you know, I, I I played the numbers game. I 100% did this strategy that you're doing, and it worked really well for me of like knowing over 75% of the guys I was chatting with on the apps, I'd never meet. And even if we were texting, I also might never meet them. Like it just didn't mean anything until we were sitting at the date. Then they were real. I want to switch gears here because I had a post and I also have a podcast about dating rules that I had if I believe in dating rules, which I don't, but sometimes it's good to have some guidelines. The podcast, by the way, is number 24, so you can scroll back and and, uh, listen to that. But Evan, you saw my post and you commented, good list, disagree with two, three, and nine because the goal is connection, not scarcity. Nonetheless, lots of value here. Maybe let's discuss the differences sometime. So here we are. We're going to get into them. Are you ready? I I love it. I haven't memorized your rules, so please remind me. The first one you disagreed on was don't do marathon dates. I said to keep them to one to two hours, especially if you get burnt out on dating. So why is this not a good approach? Let me reframe because I think the the, the wording matters a lot. I tend to try not to traffic in right versus wrong. I tend to talk about effective versus ineffective. So I'm a dating maximalist and everything I do comes with dating maximalist. And dating maximalism starts with what's the best case scenario? Okay. Most people work the opposite way. What's the worst case scenario? Mm. So their dating philosophy is swipe right, text, meet in person as quickly as you can. Put in as little time as you can. Let's see if there's a connection. If you could imagine the best possible date is your ideal date, a half hour blind date at Starbucks with a total stranger. No. I don't know anybody who's that, where that's their ideal date. And yet that's what we produce when we swipe right, text quickly, meet in person. It's all, how do I get out of this thing? So my belief is put more time in up front for screening, courtship, flirting, couple emails, couple texts, phone call, so that by the time you go on a first date, you could feel really comfortable that it'll probably be a good first date because you already spent an hour on the phone with him. Then it's not that risky. And I would rather have a date, and I'm speaking for myself here, on a Saturday night at eight or nine o'clock where no one has to wake up and go to work the next day. And we can have a great conversation and shut down the restaurant, maybe go to a bar after that. That's my ideal first date. So why wouldn't I set myself up for that date? Fair. No, I, I hear what you're saying. I think you're right when you said dating mass was like prepare for the best, not the worst. That is definitely where my sentiment was coming from. Of Like I have had horrible dinner first dates and wanted to avoid them because of I was avoiding the horribleness. And it makes sense. <laughs> but if you screened up front, could you theoretically have avoided some of those bad dates? I did once. I'm telling you, I did once. And it was like horrible. Oh, my methodology is not flawless. No, of course. Like There's always going to be people who slip through the cracks and you're like, oh, I talked to this guy. He seemed normal on the phone and he was a nightmare in person. This is not to suggest this is perfect. 
This is my belief, and I did a TED Talk about it. If you want to Google Evan Mark Katz and no more bad dates, the theory is between going on blind dates with three strangers for coffee three times a week and one quality pre-screen date on a Saturday night, make your choice. I know what I choose. I think screening is a great practice. I I hope listeners are open to leaving dates open-ended, right? Not going into it like, okay, two hours, got to bounce, you know? The whole point is to go on a date where you're excited about the date and you feel comfortable. It's hard to feel comfortable or excited if you're meeting a total stranger that you texted once. That's Mm -hmm. all. So we need to put in more time up front to avoid bad dates and create better first dates. Most people say, that's a waste of time. Let's just meet. Let's just see if there's chemistry. So men think that way. Women think that way. And then we have this culture where everybody complains how terrible dating is. And it's because we're going out with strangers. Yeah. I mean, I took the let's just meet approach, right? But I didn't go into it expecting it to be amazing. So I think my expectations were in line with that the experience I was building for myself. This is why I'm saying I'm not playing the right versus yeah, wrong or my ideas right. are better than yours. I would rather have a date with someone that I've been flirting with for a week and I'm really excited to take her out to dinner than to meet a stranger for coffee to see if she's doable, which is most guys' philosophy. Mm. It's harsh but true. Okay, the second one you weren't on board with was, which was what you're getting at, don't text a lot before meeting. My reasoning for this is that it creates a sense of false intimacy and leads you to building them up in your head. So you're saying this is part of the screening process, right? This is why texting healthy amount a week. As I said, I'm a maximalist. Right. I would rather, and again, we're not talking about a really long period of time. I'm not saying like, let's, let's stretch this out over a month and do a background check on him. I'm saying that if you text him, email him, talk to him, whatever medium you're using to connect, ask questions, flirt, learn about him, you will discover, is he relentlessly negative? Is he complaining about online dating and his ex, right? Is he a conspiracy theorist? Is he just looking to get laid? Like the more data you have, the more you're going to discover who you're going out with. The quicker you go through that process, because, well, we're all busy here, so let's just keep it keep it tight. You might as well write your phone number on a bathroom wall and say, call me, because that's how much <laughs> screening you're doing when you agree to go out with every cute guy who gets your phone number immediately on an app. There's zero process. And if you're a CEO, do you think anybody from the parking lot should just come in for an interview with you? No, Just because he's not. cute? <laughs> so to me, it's like, my time's valuable, and I would rather spend a few minutes flirting with someone during the week than to show up at coffee for an hour. People say, oh, it's a, it's a waste of time to do what I'm talking about. No, it's a waste of time to meet a stranger who you're going to hate if you'd only talk to him once. I hear you're saying, I guess like when I say like texting a lot before meeting, there are times where I was using the apps while on vacation, right? So I wasn't home. So I'd match with someone and then I'd basically be texting throughout my entire vacation until I got home. You basically had our whole first date via text. So when we got to the date, it was not a match. Like it was just really weird. That's fine. And again, I I respect your right to pivot based on that experience. To me, that's an overreaction. Like I would still rather have build up to a first date and find out, oh, 50% of dates are not as good as I think they'll be. 50% of them are. I I would rather have some excitement and anticipation and rapport rather than blind date with stranger. If I'm spending a week flirting by text or in any medium, it's really not that bad. I didn't Mm -hmm. convince myself that this person is my soulmate. It would get like, oh, I can't wait to do 
this activity with you and that activity with you and we haven't met. There is a false sense of intimacy, but that's also what dating and flirting is about. The alternate, which is to keep it tight, one-line texts infrequently and meet a stranger, we land largely in the same place, right? Which is, I'm going out with a stranger. It's a coin flip. And I just, I don't like the randomness of it personally. Fair. No, with my fiance, he wasn't in my location. He like was moving. So we did talk virtually for a month, but we had live conversations like video calls and phone calls, not just sexting. Which is maybe case in point. Yeah, no, 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 I definitely agree. I didn't see it that way. Cause like, yeah, by the time we met in person, we had already had four virtual dates. So So yeah, yeah. you don't need to do it for a month, but if you did it for a week, would that either stop you from going out with the guy? Because you can talk to a guy on the phone and you could say, hey, you want to hang out? And you're like, nah, it's an uncomfortable conversation. But that's the whole point of the screening process is to eliminate people. Right. So if you eliminate men by text, email, phone, you're going to have fewer bad dates and better first dates, almost objectively. Love it. Okay. The third one was no dinner first dates. So again, this is this is all Same I idea. get the theme here. Yeah, this is a the theme. Uh, but I include this again because so many people I've talked to and myself have had nightmare, specifically dinner first dates, like when you're sitting down with a menu and waiter, the whole thing. So you think dinner is okay if you are screening and doing all this other stuff, it could be fine. Dating is an imperfect process. Yes. But everything's an imperfect process. You can't go into a restaurant and know you're going to like the restaurant. You can't go to a movie and know you're going to like the movie. You can't go to a hotel Mm -hmm. and know you're going to like the hotel. And we do it anyway. We do the best that we can. We'll read the reviews, but you never really know what you're going to get. So you can't perfect this. You can't eliminate bad experiences. You can minimize bad experiences and you can maximize good experiences. So same idea. Mm -hmm. If you close your eyes and imagine dream first date, is it a half hour at 2.30 in the afternoon for coffee? I don't know that there's any dream first date. My dream first dates were on a Saturday night and yeah. I drove her home and we made out and that's a right. better date. I just. No, yeah, that does, does sound like a much better date than a Starbucks half right? hour coffee. So how could we create more of those dates? Right Now, mm-hmm. the alternate is to say, well, let's see if there's chemistry coffee date precedes that. That's what it's for. That's fine. But you're going to have to go. You have to leave your house for that. <laughs> For me, I found that process draining. I would rather get my hopes up once a week than to just cycle through flakes that yes. I really didn't want to meet at all. And so it's a choice. I like it. I like this approach. No, I, I totally see where you're coming from. And I, I appreciate I'm glad that you could come here and share your take. Okay, I have a listener question for you. This is, this is someone wrote in with their question. It's a little bit longer. I, 31 female, have been single for a decade. I've gone on dates here and there, but nothing serious has developed. As a result, I've become incredibly independent. I've had a worry that the longer I'm on my own, the harder it's going to be to be able to compromise some of my peace and independence for a serious relationship. Is it possible to find someone who provides that perfect balance? I'm worried I've gone, I've too far gone at this point. What's one of the bigger problems that women have with men? It's that they're too busy, emotionally unavailable, married to their work or building their careers, too stuck on their friends, some version of that. To me, this is sort of like a two wrongs don't make a right situation. I would never judge. Most of my clients are, by definition, smart, strong, successful career women who are very comfortable working 50, 55 hours a week and then put less than five hours a week into the act of finding love and then wonder why is it so hard to find love? And if I snapped my fingers and I handed her a boyfriend, she would still have no time 
because she's traveling 12 weeks a year for work mm-hmm. where she's skiing eight weekends in a row. <laughs> right. Or she's working until nine o'clock at night at the law firm. Right. And so there's a point where you have to recognize I'm part of the problem mm-hmm. and that there can be a thing of filling up your rich, full single life to the point where there's no room for anybody in it. So my belief is you don't make time when you meet the right guy. You make time to meet the right guy. You mm-hmm. carve out space for it. So when people come to love you, that's that's a that's a huge part of what we do. It's a, it's a it's a reshuffling, a reallocation of time and resources, unless you want to be the person who, like a bunch of my clients, sixty, never married, partner at the law firm, right, have everything except for anybody to take care of you. There's always going to be a trade off. There's no value judgment for someone who puts their career first or their travels first or their brand or whatever it is. It's you would want a guy who created time for you and two people who are like, oh, we're really independent. We have our freedom. We believe in freedom. The relationship's going to suffer. It's not a coincidence that athletes, movie stars, rock stars, military, people who travel for a living, their relationships don't get enough water, oxygen. It needs constant nurturing on a day-to-day basis. If There's a few days in my household where my wife's planning my daughter's bat mitzvah. It's two days from now. Oh, right. If I don't talk to my wife for a few days, I feel something. We haven't had a real conversation. We haven't had a proper date. So there's no substitute for quality time. But it wouldn't be terribly surprising if one day the guy who puts work first doesn't want to be in a relationship because he was always a work first guy. I was with that guy. I know. Yeah. You're the safety school backup plan. It's yeah. nice when you're around. Oh, are you free on Saturday night for dinner and sex? But right now I got to focus on this project at work. Those guys don't always make for great partners, even if they're impressive human beings. So what you're saying is you have to carve out time. Uh, you said in one sentence what it took me three minutes to say. Yes. No. But no, I just, yeah, that's, no, it's a really good advice. This comes up a lot. This comes up with my friends who are in their thirties, like my close friends from college and they're single and they're like, they're all choices and trade-offs. There's not, there's not one universal way to do it. But if you discover I work 50 hours a week and I've only been on one date in the past three months, that would be an indicator that you haven't put enough focus on finding love. You're sort of Mm -hmm. waiting for it to happen to you. And time could sneak up on you, especially if you're in your thirties, you want to settle down and start a family. I would take my love life really seriously in my early 30s instead of calling people like me when you're 39 and saying, where's my husband? Because I get that a lot. Well, I really appreciate all the insight that you have given us today. How long have you been doing this? I started when I was 31. I'm now 51. So yeah, 20 years. Incredible. I just appreciate it so much. And you told me at the top of the show that you have a gift for Dating Intentionally listeners. Yeah. You personally have been so good to me and so (laughs) warm online that I wanted to be on this show. I wasn't wrangled into doing it. I really (laughs) wanted to be here to have this conversation. And I wanted to leave your listeners with a gift. So if you go to evanmarkkatz.com forward slash dating intentionally, make sure you spell all that right. Uh, evanmarkkatz.com and dating forward slash dating intentionally. I'm giving you a free PDF, the five massive mistakes, seven massive mistakes you're making in dating, uh, which will probably be a bit of an eye opener because I don't think most people would identify these things as mistakes. That sounds like such a valuable resource. And I will definitely link in the show notes and the email and everywhere I'll post this in my stories. So people will get it. Thank you so much. Where else can we connect with you online? My name is Evan Mark Katz, E-V-A-N-M-A-R-C-K-A-T-Z. 
I am at Real Evan Mark Katz on Instagram and TikTok, Evan Mark Katz fan on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast called The Love You Podcast. I love your podcast, by the way. I really genuinely like doing this. It is it, it is my pleasure. And I give away probably more free advice than anybody on the internet. So if any of this resonated with you, subscribe, get on my free list. And uh, if you need personal attention and you really want to take this to the next level, you could always apply to love you at evanmarkatz.com forward slash apply. So amazing. Thank you so much, Evan. This has been a so great. I can't wait to share this with the listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Talia. As always, the first thing I want to know is what was your biggest lesson from this episode? You can DM me on Instagram right now. Let me know, or you can share below in the comment section. If you're listening on Spotify, I love Evan's no-nonsense approach to dating, probably because I feel like mine is very similar in a lot of ways. I think being open to doing more screening and less quick coffee vibe checks is absolutely worth trying, even though that wasn't my approach at all. Of course, we did point out that I technically screened Johnny for one month before meeting him. Anyway, please reach out to me on Instagram at dating.intentionally and let me know your thoughts. And definitely check out Evan's blog and Instagram too, which I'll link below. Thank you for listening. I'd love it if you share this episode with someone who's navigating dating and might need a little confidence boost or some tough love. If any of these episodes have helped you in your journey, you can help me by leaving a stunning review on Apple or giving Dating Intentionally five stars on Spotify. I'd really appreciate it. Once again, I'm Talia. This has been Dating Intentionally, and I'll catch you next time.